Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, where we talk to and learn from the people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. I'm your host, Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shiate, New York. All right, well, thanks for tuning in. We're here with Mr. Peter Himmelman. So, Peter, just tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do. Well, right now I'm trying to get a bottle cap off my Aquafina water, a little plug for them. I'm uh, primarily, I would say, a singer-songwriter, musician. Mm. Um, that's kind of the prism through which I've seen the world and hopefully had an effect on some tiny corner of some part of the world. Um, and uh, that just kind of... Uh, like an octopus, a lot of tentacles that moved out from that point to different areas. Yeah, because uh, you just launched a book, and uh, it's a great book uh, called uh, Let Me Out, uh, Unlock Your Creative Mind and Bring Your Ideas to Life. And uh, I would say that this is one of the best books on creativity I've read. I've read a bunch of them. I think this is, this is an amazing book. The ideas in it are so... Very simple and so very well known. I mean, I, I'm in, uh, in this mode of thinking that I haven't counted them, but I think there are only twelve actual ideas in, in the whole world. You know, there's not well, there's not that. thousands and thousands. There's just some central ideas, and the one that I kind of seized on in the book, and it's obviously though it's simple, it's difficult to achieve, is simply to rest one's idea from the mind, the nascent, the ephemeral into the actual, taking mm. the the smallest homeopathic dose of an action. You know <laughs> that's a great way to put it. And I, and I think it it you know it points to, I think, um, you know, a convention in the world that there are, these left brain people and there are these right brain people. There are these logical people and there are these creative people. And to me, what I thought was really powerful about your book is that you kind of look at it and say, oh, you know what, I think everybody's creative. I mean, is that a fair assessment? It's very fair. I mean, even to hear you say that, I'm like, no, I, something I, I don't believe any longer. Um, I was just in Silicon Beach last week visiting with uh, people from the Boston Consulting Group's mm. Digital Ventures, and they're scientists, technologists, uh, uh, medical neuroscientists. I mean, you know, they're. Were there any smart people there? Yeah, just, they're, just, they're, those, just, just, just. But those they're guys. quintessentially what you would call left-brain people. Mm. And and once I sort of spent just a tiny bit of time with them, explained what they're doing, you know, I just said, "You guys," and they and they joked about themselves as being very left-brainy. I said, "You guys are essentially artists." You know, a hundred percent. Kind of what I'm thinking about. First of all, from a neuroscience perspective, the left and right brain thing is not mm. totally accurate any longer. Some people don't really sus subscribe to it. But we do have the capacity to think in these different ways. Mm. And one without the other is, you know, that's it's not life. It's, it's insanity, actually, mm. literal insanity. Um, I find that actuaries and insurance people and farmers and mail carriers oftentimes are the ones who are stronger at purveying creativity than the so-called artist. Like, you know, I'm sitting here with my 
pork pie hat and my little goatee, which my wife's friend says, you know, it's a little cry for help. <laughs> I, I know so often I'm just repeating things. I'm, I'm in a rut, in a habit. I'm not really engaged with life. And these people whom I just listed, mm. you know, sort of these things that would sound in popular culture as very non-creative, they can be in a very fecund phase, a rich phase of creativity. And by creativity, I mean engagement mm. with the world, not tap dancing or writing poetry, just alive to to the moment, let's right. say. And th- but, but I don't think this is conventional. I think just like these BCG guys, when they showed up, uh, I mean, I don't think this is, I think the disruption, though, is that people can say, hey, wait a minute, I actually have an artist in me. And that that's what I think is at the core of your book. Mm-hmm. And you, and because you've you know you've talked to some people, uh, I had a list of some of the uh, places that you've been talking to people, uh, you know Adobe and uh, at uh, Northwestern and at you know Wharton. I mean these are very uh, left brain places. Certainly the uh, the universities. Yeah, I just I don't see it anymore. I don't know that I ever did. I I saw maybe because my dad was uh, he was an entrepreneur, mm. and you know he was. A businessman, I guess you'd call him, but I always saw him as an artist. And and what I think an artist is, and I, and the book really talks about this, is someone who has an idea. The idea has no meat on it. It has no bones or flesh. And he or she goes through this rigorous, oftentimes, always by to correct myself, painful process of bringing it into the world, which I think is a very mm. magical and beautiful thing. Well, I think even before you get to the making, you know, there's, there's a piece of your book uh, that is really about how to be fearless. So uh, why don't you introduce the mm. audience to Marv? Sure. Marv is sort of the central character. And, I, you know, when I explain it, everyone will go, yeah, I, I know that guy. Just gave it a name. So... Whatever it is that you're doing that's not some habituated, ritualized sort of, you know, going through the motions thing, something that's that's actually new will engender comments from this Marv or the internal critic. Like in my case, you know, Peter, you're going to be on this podcast with Rob and he's a sharp guy. He wears a nice suit. You're coming in this schlumpy flannel thing. Everyone's going to think you're an idiot. And hopefully you'll say something new and smart and won't repeat yourself because you just, you don't want to sound like a fool. You may be in over your head. We all have that voice. Mm -hmm. And Marv, by the way, stands for majorly afraid of revealing vulnerability. And it's been talked about before. People have had all sorts of ideas about how to handle the so-called internal critic. And most of them are like, suffocate mm. this, push him out of your life, you know, kill him, you know, be free, become a, a, a fearless person as you mm. you introduced mm. the idea. My thing's a little different. You'll never, ever, ever become a fearless person. I am an anxious cholera, as they mm. say in Yiddish. Um, but you may be able to push this Marv aside for hours or minutes at a time and get things done. And it's the amalgam of those times where you actually can create something and you'll be back tomorrow. 
I must say, though, to explain a little bit more about Marv, Marv is really kind of a metaphor for what goes on in our amygdala. It's a primitive part of the brain that's always looking out for fear. Mm. And, you know, it comes in really handy if a rabid puma were to run into the studio here and, you know, I might smack it with my guitar or talk it to death. You might use some unconventional means. I mean, who knows? But we would take action to save our lives. And that's Marv's real function and, and rarely, but in those incidences, very useful function. But Marv's problem as it relates to our life and our creative life in our relational life, I mean, really our, our life is our creative life. There's no separation right. between the two. Is that <clears throat> he often feels that things that are not life-threatening are. For example, a book of poetry. He, You know, we've always wanted to write this thing. Marvis saying, and how does he envision this as a, as a mortal threat? He's saying, if you write, Eleanor, a book of poetry whoever Eleanor might be, and you fail, and she's listening because Mars very seductive. He has a hotline to everything we feel is important. If you fail, you will, you will feel shamed. Mm-hmm. You, will, you will engender a sense of shame. That is something that human beings do not like. We, we rail against that. And if you're shamed, you know that shameful people are abandoned. It's it's well, logical. Mar- Marv's got a whole doomsday he, scenario. Well, he's not a doomsday. He's a helper. We mm. honor him and we respect him. And he goes one step further. He says that when you were an infant, preverbal child, none of us have ever lost touch with who we are as mm. children. It's still at the essence of who we are. Abandonment at that time in our lives literally meant, and it actually meant, we would die. Mm. That's where the mortal threat connection comes in. So I can't write a poem because Marv is telling me it could lead to my death. But what you need to say in some sense, and the book goes into many ways mm. of doing this, this is kind of the overview, is thank you, Marv, for protecting me. But this isn't a mortal threat. You're just working too hard. So go have a latte. We have like a little machine over there. We have a New York Times. Read it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna work on this poetry book for an hour or two. Come back at me later. And as soon as you do that, as soon as you take action, mm. as soon as you sit down at your desk, you touch your tuchus to the chair. Marv is already over there looking at you, thinking, Yeah, way to go, Rob. Way to go, Eleanor. He becomes your champion. Oh, interesting. Well, I, I like this line that you wrote in the book uh, after you uh, went through, um, you know, who Marv is and how Marv tends to hold you back. I love this line you wrote, which is, eliminate fear and creativity begins to appear. And this is a great line. Eliminate fear and creativity begins to appear. And again, I think that comes back to action. Right. It's all about action. Action as opposed to and it's you've got to be clear to differentiate what that is. Serious, productive contemplation, which only takes place as a thought, is an is a form of action. Mulling something fearfully over and over again is not an action. Mm. It's a it's a loop. Kind of an interesting thing. 
you know, I got the finished book back, and I'd worked on this book for four years. I mean, I, I never, I didn't really think that I could finish a book, hmm. let alone get it out on a major publisher. So it was, it was a huge accomplishment for me in some way. And I got the book, and I held it in my hand. And right away, Marv was on me, as he's wont to do, and saying, Peter, what if this book is a bunch of crap, which I think it is. Maybe it's just no one will like it. By the way, what a betrayal! Because Marv, you know, he's got a big section in the book. There's a you know cute it's, drawing again, of him. Again, I got to lead you to it's not a betrayal. He's doing a great job. He's working too hard. You're so you're so fully realized on Marv. I, I would. I oh would, well, no, 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 I would I, take Marv out to the woodshed. It's just say, you know, always. Buddy. I'm always kind of in this thing with him. So I said to him, "Okay, Marv, I didn't actually say this, but there is this kind of overview." Let me test out the tenets of my book. But just think about things that can be done, things of unbelievable importance within, pick your time, two minutes. Two minutes is good. Some people, 30 seconds. I mean, you can sire children in such a time. I mean, you can't raise them in two minutes. But, I mean, short increments of time, and and somehow it, it occurs to me that, Time is expandable somehow, malleable, fungible. Mm. Brilliant ideas often drop into people's laps mm-hmm. in these very short spans of time. In the shower, you know, you're creating this opportunity. So it, it really hasn't – nothing gets done when you say, look, I have six months to do this. And, and interestingly, this – back to this Boston Consulting Group digital mm. ventures people, they have a thing which I thought was mm. somehow really connected with what I'm talking about in the book. It's called the 100-day dash. Mm. So they start an idea and they bring this technology. First, they research what is even needed mm-hmm. in the world. Somebody pays them to do this. Right. But it doesn't take five years. You you might think mm-hmm. it does. It takes, they give themselves this forcing frame, mm-hmm. you know, greater or lesser time so that you're, you're taking action. There's agency within the tension mm-hmm. of time constraints. Without it, things are quite flaccid and nothing gets done. Do they or do they not often get done in the 11th hour, even in the ad sure. world? Of course. There's something about the pressure. And it's not that you've been, uh, Adam Grant talks Mm. about people thinking that procrastination is a bad thing. For artists or creative people, procrastination is much more about gestation. Yeah, incubation almost. Yeah, Yeah. exactly, than stalling or being lackadaisical. I think in many settings, corporate people that want their people to become more creative – they have to understand the value of sort of being in confusion, of being in doubt, mm-hmm. of doing nothing that appears productive. The appearance of productivity often leads to zero productivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'd heard that uh, Chip Taylor got a call. Uh, this was back in 1965 that uh, somebody needed a song. They were producing some album. And uh, he had three hours, Chip, up in the Bronx. Mm. Uh, and he came up with three chords, and he wrote "Wild Thing" in you know, in a, in, a, in a flash. And now that's the most covered you know rock and roll song ever. You know, a great way to look at what I'm talking about is maybe this is for anything. 
songwriters, but if somebody gives you a paycheck that's meaningful to you, mm. you know, you, you name your your number and a time limit. Yeah. Now the paycheck could just be a kiss from mm. someone you love. I mean, it it depends what's valuable to you, but I need it on Monday. I wrote these children's records. I have five of them. I just tell him, your engineer, he's got a four and six-year-old kids. And so, I, you know, I didn't have any kids' records, and I had kids of my own. And somebody called me one day from Minneapolis, and they said, I'm going to pay you X, which was a good number mm-hmm. for me, and I need it by Z. Mm-hmm. And I'll be damned. I wrote five records, you know, because of that. Um, that shows... If somebody pays you, it does a lot to sort of mollify Marv. I was going to say, th- th- can we tie this back to the fear sure, in any sure way? We because can. Uh, it, it seems like you had the money, you had the confidence. Because also in the book, you talk about the support, the posse. I think you right, call it right. And I, and I don't really get. I don't really find that quote confidence is important. Or I am going to start this when I feel confident. Mm-hmm. Confidence is gained from the doing mm. and the and the moving through space without confidence. And it's the things that accrue, you know, that are made manifest through those so- so-called unconfident actions. I don't believe in self-confidence. I mean, I've never really had. But, for example, if there was, you knew that you had to write the song, you could, you could say to yourself, well, I'm going to give myself three minutes. I'm going to write one of these songs in three minutes. I mean, that to me, you would start it, and then within the three minutes, the confidence emerges. Well, right. Yeah, and I think something you say in your book, and, and I want to tie it to another piece in one second, is uh, harsh judgment is what kills creativity. And I think there was something very powerful. I'd never heard this before until I saw it uh, in whatever it was, Chapter 9, uh, that you don't use the words success and failure. They're, they're almost impossible to avoid. You know, I, I try not to because they're so ingrained in our culture. For example, there's this thing in business, you know, embracing failure. Maybe you guys say yeah. it in your Fail thing. fast. Fail fast. Exactly. I, I, don't, I don't like it. Why not just use the word experiment? Because, I like to say succeed fast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why not? Or, or even if you have to go for a, you know, business buzzword iterate fast i mean mm-hmm. it's really the process the uh, process of experimentation mm-hmm. failure means that you've been through this wheel of judgment and so on and by the same token the word success is also seemingly limiting mm. so i try as best i can not only to use the words but to sort of imbibe the concepts of of contraction and expansion. Mm. So this thing, you know, i.e. failure, limited my possibility for growth. And it could be just in a conversation. Am I am I reaching another person's humanity with this conversation or with this song or with this idea? Or am I shrinking possibilities? And I don't even want to talk politics now mm-hmm. because we see a whole kind of a emergence of this thing. Shrinkage. Um, you know, and then again, it's relative. For some people, the shrinkage is is a form of safety. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about your journey. So uh, you uh, 
again, to come back to disruption, you have to disrupt yourself. I mean, maybe talk a little bit about how you got to this point, because you didn't start out as an author, as a guy who walks into corporations and inspires Fortune 500 companies. I mean, you started out as a guy with a guitar and a dream. Mm -hmm. You know, I I did pretty well with it. You know, made a lot of records for major labels, and I guess right when I signed to Island Records, I also got married. Mm. And marriage to me was kind of in, in love and fealty and relationships. That was a big part of what I was writing about. And and when my but, but not your first songs. Oh, oh my my first like, song. You, before you once I, told me about your sort of Prince. I mean, first of all, let me let me set some, yeah. Let me set the stage just a little bit. So mm-hmm. you were in Minneapolis growing up uh, in the early seventies, uh, and uh, you know there seems like some interesting musical roots there. Prince emerged out of that. The Replacements. Oh yeah. I mean yeah. Maybe so talk a I was bit like about that. there was a song on Prince's first album that was called. Uh, just I thought it was that this was a disruptive title. It was called Soft and Wet. Soft and wet. Soft and wet. I'm like, soft and wet. I mean, I'm probably Prince was a few years older than me. It was a dish towel. He was talking about a dish towel. Exactly. Some product. It could have been a great thing for like Charmin or something. You should try to make that deal. And I thought I could write a bunch of songs like that. And I started writing, uh, Baby, let me be your cigarette. Come on, puff a puff a puff until my tip gets wet. Light me up and baby, don't fret. Cause girl, I want to be your cigarette. It went on and on and even worse. <laughs> then there was one called Fireman, which was mm. a new wave ballad. I'm your fireman, show me where you're burning. I'm your fireman, ooh baby, I'm coming. I'm your fireman, I'll be there to hose you down. And we're kind of making some headway with that stuff, you know. And then uh, I wrote a song. I moved to New York after my dad died, and mm. I'd written a song for him sort of on the last Father's Day of his life, he mm. was, you know, we were really close, and he got a diagnosis of stage four lymphoma. And that really, as a kid, you know, I was young. I was 18, and while I'm playing all these ridiculous songs, my mind was really right. focused something on something much heavier. And uh, on the last Father's Day of his life, I wrote this song called, you know, it's eventually called This Father's Day, and it was... I started crying at the end of the song, and I recorded it on a little four-track at the end of the recording. And, you know, I was reaching to record it again because it would be played. There was a big party happening that morning. I'd just come home from some gig. It was like 4 in the morning. And it was almost as if, though I hadn't named him at the time, Marv himself moved my finger away from the record button. And basically he said, just leave it with the tears. Mm. And I brought it upstairs the next day and all my cousins, people were crazy about my dad. He's an amazing guy. And they just from the tape hiss, they knew this wasn't some funny tune and they were crying. They left the room. I kind of blown the lid off the bullshit. Like this is real. Right, He's right. not gonna be here. 
just my dad and I sort of holding each other and crying and the song played. And about a year later, I put that out as a tribute to him. And that's the that's the album that got me signed to Island Records. And sort of, you know, so all these things happen. I mean, I can't name them. I played everywhere and made a bunch of records. And uh, at some point in terms of disruption, you know, I have it in the book. My, my cousin in in Chicago, he's from Israel. He goes, he's a diamond dealer. He goes, so Peter, well, tell me what happened uh, to the music business. I said, Yitzchak, you know, imagine you're cupping your hands under the computer screen and every diamond you're trying to sell could just fall for free into your hands. Infinitely reproducible with no loss of quality. That's a problem, he said. <laughs> I said, hell yeah, it's a problem. I had three kids going into college, private schools at once, basically. So basically Napster screwed your career. <laughs> well, I mean, it 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 changed. Mm. And, and I think the idea of, of disruption, it's... It seems like it always comes on the heels of something traumatic mm. because we set up our businesses and our lives in ways that are, we want them to be sustainable. We want them to be sort of automated, ritualized, you know. Systematized. Systematized. Oh, we've spent a lot of money for the system, so we're very unwilling to step out of the system unless we're forced to do so. And that's usually when we do. That's when I did it. I needed something. Now, it would be great to have the foresight and the willingness and basically the balls to step out of something that's successful to do something that's more sustainable. It's very difficult to do. Right. Now, as we, as we wind up here, we, we always ask, like, what, what's, what's one thing someone should do Monday? So today's Wednesday and... So what should someone to do Monday? And the other thing I want to do with you is because you're one of the few people in the world who can do this. You're going to sing your advice. Oh. So uh, I'm throwing you a curveball. Is you be okay? It is a real curveball. <laughs> but but you've got this. I, I, I heard on one of your albums that uh, you asked the audience just to throw something out there and they came up with meat. And you wrote a really poignant steak. I steak, think said, yeah. steak. <laughs> so what? I mean, you can. What? What? Could I throw you a word? Yeah, Does yeah. You help? can do anything. Let me tell you what it's about. I mean, it's a metaphor, and it really has to do with this Marv idea. Now, when you throw me the idea, and now it's on a podcast, and you know, I don't expect we're going to edit this. I'm going to tell you something that will scare me. Okay. And the listeners will hear too. It's going to be really good, whatever I do. It frightens me because what if it sucks? <laughs> and it's going to be so good that I'm going to have to do things that are happening here in the moment. No so you won't think it was written a week ago or something. Now that scares me even more. <laughs> but it's that fear that can either be looked at as thwarting or dissuasive of creativity mm. or like pulling back on the bowstring of a bow and arrow, genitive of creativity. I would never make up a song in a relaxed mood in my house. I, I It would never happen. So, shoot me what you need. I don't know. I think that maybe the word should be Monday. Okay, so, I, I have to say, this is something that you do Monday. Usually my things are now. Are we going to say this is Monday? And... 
what, what, what we could do, what, what you should do Monday. or Well, the other word, of course, we could use is disruption. So you tell me. You can work with either one. Well, either Monday one. disruption. We'll use whatever, whatever combination of the words you want to use. Okay. <laughs> Monday is coming. It's just in a few days. My mind feels like it's in a haze. I'm looking for all the different ways I can write this song. Rob's sitting there in a suit and tie He's a very handsome, distinguished guy He's sitting there wondering if Peter's gonna really give this a try and why But if I mess this up, the whole thing blows up I would just wanna throw up in a ceramic cup But that's not pleasant to think about So I'll just give you something else to do On Monday's Disruption my advice to you is to call someone you love Take some love from up above Tell them how much they mean to your life You can do this with a father or mother A sister or a brother Or most crucially, your husband or your wife When you talk about creativity When it really means something You can't be scratching the surface Like some Hoboken bumpkin no offense to Hoboken people, but there are bumpkins in New York too. When you're talking about creativity, it's gotta be true for you. And what's true is always love and relationships. So you gotta make that clean. You can't go around the city with a dirty love scene. You gotta call someone and say, I love the way you move me. I love the way you prove your love to me, baby. And when they smile, everything is clear and isn't here. He decided it was the time to disappear And then you know for sure that creativity is near Because you've done something for somebody else And pushed your fear away That's what you do on Disruption Monday That was awesome. Peter, I can't thank you enough. Uh, your book is... Let me out, unlock your creative mind, and bring your ideas to life. And uh, I hope uh, folks listen to this and bring you in. I think you can really disrupt them, and they can really be a lot more fearless and creative. So thanks. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, brought to you by TBWA Shy Day New York. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashyatny.tumblr.com. <laughs>